الجزيرة بودكاست Australia and China mark 50 years of diplomatic relations which have been rather frosty of late. The Australian Foreign Minister has travelled to Beijing a step towards rapprochement. So what are the sticking points and just how important is their relationship? I'm Nastasia Tain. You're listening to the Inside Story podcast where we dissect, analyse and help define major global stories. Well, for more on this now, I'm joined by our guests. In Brisbane, we have Tess Newton-Kane. She's the project leader for the Pacific Hub at Griffith University. In Beijing is Henry Yao Wang. He's the founder and president of the Center for China and Globalization. And in Taipei, we have Alicia Garcia-Herrero. She's the chief economist for the Asia-Pacific at Natixis. That's a French investment bank. A warm welcome to you all. Thank you for joining us on Inside Story. Now, we've had this 90-minute meeting, a very carefully worded press conference. I noted that when she was about to have a meeting this morning, Penny Wong had said, the ice thaws, but slowly. Alicia, what do you make of the melt so far? Well, I think uh, this is basically good news that we're having this this, um, physical meeting uh, after Bali because it shows that you know there is possibility for re-engagement. That doesn't really perhaps means as much as re-engagement, rapprochement might be the word. But I think this is not only Australia, we're seeing basically the US, we're seeing European member states, everybody's kind of coming and, and realizing that that you know a new Cold War is in nobody's interest. And I think this is part of that story. It's one chapter in that story. Sure. I'm curious about the timing of this, though, from particularly the Chinese side. China's economy is obviously hurting hugely at the moment. It's feeling increasingly isolated because of its zero COVID strategy. Was Beijing perhaps ready to do this and the change of government in Australia was just a a good opportunity to do that, Henry? Well, I think this is uh, probably the the best time. And uh... As we know that in the last two or three months, China has actually started a very uh, active uh, high-level diplomacy. You know, uh, President Xi has actually uh, went to the G20, met uh, Australian leaders there. And also, of course, we had APEC, we had uh, uh, a parade of uh, foreign leaders coming. Now we see foreign ministers coming now, which is great. I think uh, China, Australia fundamentally have no uh, no conflict, uh, you know, no geopolitical or or border issues and... uh, it's really unusual, and and uh, and also, uh, I expected that the bilateral relation has gone so low. So, so I think this is great. It's high time that we revive the normal relation, and maybe let's elevate that to a better level. So, so I think it's really a right time. And Chinese economy is also starting to uh, boom again because uh, now they have uh, lifted the uh, COVID, uh, you know, uh, control, and we expect uh, a retaliatory. Uh, growth of the Chinese economy in the next year. So I think this is probably the right time to engage, and uh, particularly uh, China-Australia has a, such a, a very active uh, economic bilateral relations. Sure. Uh, Henry, sorry, just to follow up there, I'm curious about how much you think this particular rapprochement from the Chinese side has been driven by domestic concerns. Oh, no, this is uh, not... Uh, uh, I don't think there's any domestic concern uh, uh, related because really, um, you know, this three months ago, Chinese uh, top leaders are already starting to around the world already, uh, you know, being in Central Asia, in, in, in G20 and, 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 and all the uh, Thailand, all the places. And also we see a parade of foreign leaders coming and mm. uh, four or five uh, leaders come in November and December 
And we expect in uh, uh, President Macron coming probably soon, uh, Secretary Blinken is coming. So every, everyone is, is engaging China. Mm -hmm. uh, so in that kind of contest, I think if Australia is not doing uh, more actively, uh, it, it's probably falling up behind. So so I, I think it's a good time. And domestically, China is also uh, geared up to recover from uh, sure. the COVID uh, you know, lockdowns and uh, it's probably the best time. I, sure. I think that uh, we let me we let me bring Tess in here um, to speak about the Australian timing of all of this because I also noticed that Penny Wong is just fresh out of the South Pacific as well. She's been on a tour of, of nations there, and relations with China in that part of the world have also been fairly controversial. In some places, they've led to violent riots too. What do you make of the timing here, Tess? I think it's quite interesting timing in the Australian context, and as you say. Uh, literally last week, uh, Minister Wong was with a bipartisan delegation in three different Pacific countries. Um, it, you know, this time of year tends to be quite quiet in the Australian context in terms of media and commentary. So I think that that is significant in terms of how the Albanese government wants this to be portrayed. So, yes, it's significant. But even before she left, Senator Wong was quite careful to be closing down any great expectations that everything was going to happen at once. And she's made it very clear that she sees this as something of a process. Mm -hmm. And certainly, whilst I don't, I mean, I, I don't know that the issues in the Pacific were discussed when she met with her counterpart in Beijing, but certainly um, a lot of the work that's been done by Senator Wong and her colleagues in the region since the change of government has been about trying to reassure uh, Pacific partners, that Australia's interest in the region and Australia's interest in them is is more than simply trying to uh, either compete with or contain China in the region. Well, a number of the things that Penny says that she did raise were issues around human rights. We heard a little bit of that earlier in the show. She also, I believe, raised the treatment of the Uyghur minority and obviously the ongoing detention of these two Australian citizens, Cheng Lei and Dr. Yang Hengjun. These are obviously all very sensitive issues for Beijing. But Alicia, Beijing must have known that this was all going to come up, right? Yeah. I mean, the thing is that uh, this happens every time a Western leader visits China. I mean, uh, I think anyone has two pending cases, which the Canadian had unresolved. And I think it's now high time for Australia to solve this problem. But it goes beyond, as you said. I mean, there's two major issues. Uh, one is the, the 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 very you know the the Australia's request to investigate the origins of of COVID, which led to, of course, the, the further worsening of the relation. And now, the thing is, if anyone is going as China is opening up, 180 degrees with potential consequence for the rest of the world, because this is a massive uh, you know, change in direction mm. with potential mutations, et cetera. So you know, there's a lot of things beyond the ones you said that could be discussed also regarding COVID. So mm, surely it's not only going to be uh, nice words that we know, but I think it is good that these things are discussed. And I think that's why I still think the visit is, is worth uh, happening by all means and purposes. Sure. I want to take a look at some of the not very nice words that have been said by particularly, well, both sides, but particularly one side. I recall at one point towards the end of 2020, relations had deteriorated so far that China was actually publicly issuing threats. Uh, one Chinese official said, and I quote, if you make China the enemy, China will be the enemy. 
And China at one point listed 14 grievances. It was a leaked document and they included, what, government funding for so-called anti-Chinese research at Australian think tanks, deliberately stoking anti-China hysteria, criticizing China's behavior when it came to Taiwan, Hong Kong, Xinjiang, as well as some of them that we've discussed already. Henry, what's happened to these grievances from Beijing's side? Have they just gone away? Well, I think, you know, I mean, she came, you, you remember the day, you know, uh, 21st is the exact date of 50 years ago when Australia and China established diplomatic ties. And then when they established ties, there's only 100 million uh, the total trade. Now it's two, 200 billion over and uh, uh, over 2000 times has increased uh, since last past decade, past, you know, half a century. So, so I think, you know, now we have uh, such a great uh, relation in the past. You know, we have over 120 cities and provinces. We have, uh, you know, student exchanges, uh, booming tourism. I mean, Australia is the largest uh, trading part of China, you know, the largest export market uh, mm -hmm. uh, China is the, for, for Australia. So all those good things. You know, of course, China doesn't, you know, that, we don't understand why uh, suddenly the relationship gets sour because, uh, of course, uh, tracing origin is, is one probably the reason. But on the other hand, you know, Australia is so far away, we don't have a border issue. And uh, now there are Australians in the, in the quad, in the AUKUS, AUKUS of nuclear submarines. You know, I mean, what, what that for? So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding. I think uh, mistrust uh, has been created in the last number of years. I mean, probably, you know, on both sides too. But, but, uh, but again, I think it's now, it's a turning point. Uh, the Prime Minister met the President Xi, and now the Foreign Minister is willing to come to Beijing to talk. Uh, all those issues, which is a great, I think we need to have dialogue. We need, uh, you know, communication. So, so I think it's in both countries' interest to continue this, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, promote understanding and then have a better understanding of China. Because Henry, I you think listed a number of things that there that, that China's not very happy about. But we've mentioned a couple of them that really triggered the deterioration here, the, the very rapid deterioration um, of relations. And one of them was the ban on Huawei, and the other was this, this request for the independent investigation to the origins of COVID. Tess, let me ask you then, you're sitting in Brisbane, what's actually happened in, in regards to both of those? Well, the Huawei thing has been, you know, there's, that, that's, had, that's had implications in the region as well. So we saw Australia um, take over, essentially offer to fund a submarine um, fiber optic telecommunications cable to service both uh, Solomon Islands and Papua New Guinea, and that was essentially, a, you know, very direct intervention in order to prevent Huawei providing that critical infrastructure. And then more recently, we've seen uh, the Australian government essentially underwrite Telstra to buy out Digicel, which is a, a mobile telephony pro uh, company in the region, um, because there was a there was a concern. We don't know what that was based on that uh, the the parent company might sell that to a mm -hmm. Chinese operator. So this issue of who is uh, managing, supplying and running um, te uh, te telephones and digital infrastructure in the region is one that is still very, very touchy mm -hmm. and very sensitive for the Australian um, security community. So clearly trust has not been built up in that regard. Uh, I want to move on to talking trade. Henry, you mentioned the, the huge volume of bilateral trade. Let's take a look at some of the numbers. In 2021, bilateral trade between the two countries came to approximately 231 billion US dollars. 
China's imports from Australia reached 165 billion. That's up more than 40% from the year before, despite the frosty relations. Australian imports from China were worth 73 billion US dollars, including goods like household appliances and telecoms equipment. And Chinese nationals also constitute, as we've mentioned, the largest number of international students and inbound tourists. Now, it's always been really notable that in 2020, Australia was one of the countries, one of the few developed countries in the world that had a trade surplus with China, that it exported more to China than it imported. But then China slapped on those trade restrictions worth, what, something like $20 billion? In that time, Australia has found many other markets for its goods, especially for coal and barley. So, Alicia, let me ask you, how much does Australia actually need China now? Well, I think what Australia figured, although this was not known uh, before um, China indeed cut or banned some of, uh, not all, but some of the imports from Australia, I think what Australia learned is that China bans what China doesn't really fully need, but it doesn't ban what China needs. Mm. And, and this is iron ore and, and the bulk, basically, of, of China's imports from Australia. So the, the shock wasn't as big as expected. And on top of that, because the rest of the world is in this energy transition and, you know, everybody's looking for gas, everybody's looking for uh, critical um, uh, met minerals, and, and that's where Australia is standing out. And everybody's chasing Australia. The Europeans are trying to... Uh, conclude a trade agreement, free trade agreement with Australia. I mean, mm -hmm. so in other words, it wasn't as painful. And that I think is very important to realize that Australia is going to Beijing indeed, but Australia isn't going to Beijing because its, its economy is plummeting because of China. Its economy is actually booming. Mm -hmm. Unemployment is record low. There's no problem with the Australian economy. So that's important to realize. Alicia, you allude there to something that's very critical for China, and that's natural resources that China desperately needs. Henry, let me ask you this. We've talked a little bit about Australian iron ore in particular. Um, is China now trying to shore up Australian resources? Is that part of the motivation for trying to thaw out these frosty relations? No, I don't think so, because, uh, you know, China has... Uh, has uh, you know, uh, one of the big uh, importers that they can buy anywhere. And uh, and then, uh, uh, I mean, the reason that uh, uh, they bought from Australia, because they enjoyed good relations with Australia before. But then if Australia has really put China as a, a potential enemy and have nuclear submarines and uh, alliance with the security, with the, with the U.S. and Japan on, on China. So what, what what do you think about Chinese people? Felt? How, how do they feel about those things? Certainly, this is two-way street. So, so I think that uh, you know now it's it's good time that we're turning it around. But uh, but it's still, I I think that uh, we we do have. Henry, some sorry, good, sorry uh, to good, interrupt uh, you, but I'm I'm slightly confused by what you're saying there because mm -hmm. you're saying that China doesn't need Australian iron ore, um, and it's worried about this lack of trust and um, when it comes to security, and yet China's continued importing Australian iron ore even through these very very frosty times. So how does that work? Well, China certainly, uh, uh, you know, they can buy. They can buy from uh, Australia. They can buy from other countries. I mean, which means China is still very, very uh, reasonable. They are not stopping all the imports, of course not. And uh, and uh, they are still you know, buying from Australia, which I think is fine. But we actually, you know, like my think tanks, uh, Center for China and Globalization, we hosted uh, 
a former Australian trade minister, Birmingham, in uh, in 2019. He came to my office and made a, a delivered speech and welcomed China to join CPTPP at that time. So I think we could do. We have a lot of things to collaborate. And uh, sure. I think for this region, for, for the Asia-Pacific, there's a lot of things uh, that work, countries can work in together between China, Australia, let, Japan, Let and me bring ASEAN, Tess in here uh, because... We I'm, have already signed ASEAN, which sure, is good I, also. I'm curious about how this is working out from the Australian side when it comes to trade, because now after this conversation, they've agreed to expand high-level dialogue, which will now also include presumably between trade ministers. Uh, Tess, how soon do you think we might see any of these trade restrictions being lifted, if at all? Are you optimistic? Oh, that's not really something I'm in a position to comment on. That's um, a matter for, obviously, I'm sure that now that these um, now that these dialogues have recommenced, I'm sure that the uh, the trade people will be um, capitalising on that and trying to get things moving as soon as possible. And I know that certainly there is um, a lot of expectation on the part of Australian business leaders that they want to see these these issues moved along and, and uh, barriers removed as soon as possible as well. They do indeed. Well, we also can't have a conversation about Australia and China without mentioning the US. And I see that on the eve of this visit, uh, Prime Minister Albanese made a rather striking choice for his new US ambassador, the former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd, who not only speaks fluent Mandarin, but also, I believe, did his Oxford doctorate on Xi Jinping's worldview. He's also been heading the Asia Society in New York for the last few years. Alicia, is this Australia making its priorities in Washington clear? Well, uh, I, I have to say, indeed, you're quite right that it, it's a strange choice, but I guess, you know, Kevin Rudd is, is probably good enough to be to also be the ambassador of the U.S., no matter his knowledge on China. I mean, but the, the thing is, I don't know how Penny One is going to kind of, I mean, how is it going to be uh, that he's really not somehow maybe unintendedly interfering? Yeah, because because the U.S. has such an interest in China. So so that's going to be very tricky. Hmm. Uh, whether that was on purpose and there was a reason for that, I really can't tell. Sure. But it is indeed uh, difficult. I think even for anyone, if, if I were her, I mean, well, I, I would find it difficult to run my China policy and, let and me, have the U.S. Let me bring in Tess here, because I'm, I'm not sure that it's viewed as such a strange choice in Australia. There's been a lot of emphasis on, on how to deal with China. How is that going over in, in Australia, Tess? I think there has been this a similar kind of conversation as, you know, would, would it have been better to have sent Rudd to Beijing because he does have such a strong Chinese um, aspect to his expertise. But he's been resident in the US for quite some time and obviously has built up some really important networks there. And I think that Given, given Australia's position in the region and given the importance of Australia's relationships with countries in the Pacific and also in Southeast Asia that do not necessarily see China as a threat in the same way as that as they might as might be the case in Washington, um, it's possibly not a bad thing to have somebody in Washington who can um, put forward, you know, Australia's position and and you know maybe have a, a more nuanced conversation about how different aspects of the relationship with China need to be managed, mm. um, particularly with partners, like I say, in Southeast Asia and the Pacific that, that, see, that see China quite differently and also have 
mm-hmm. quite different views about the um, the impacts of geostrategic competition. Uh, Henry, let me ask you how the U.S. and the U.S.'s relationship with Australia is viewed in Beijing right now, because you alluded to the AUKUS trilateral security pact that was signed. That was in September last year. Obviously, a lot's happened since then. Anthony Blinken, as you also mentioned, is due to visit China early next year. How does China view the security situation now, especially when it comes to, to trust? Well, I think, you know, uh, just comment on, on uh, Kevin Rod. I mean, I was with him at uh, uh, last month in Singapore at the same panel on China. And I think it's a great choice. He understands uh, China. He understands U.S. He, he obviously knows how to defend Australia's interests. So, so I think it would be great to have somebody knows the knows the world to really be a, 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 a ambassador to, to, uh, to the U.S. And, and, of course, advising both governments uh, on China. So... What I think, actually, uh, you know, the uh, the blink is coming, and I'm sure there'll be more U.S. officials coming. Chinese officials may go to U.S. So I think, you know, Australia is far away from U.S., far away from China. There's there's no no interest for Australia to come in as as a security mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, alliance of some kind. You know, the best position would be uh, in the middle of to have the best of the two worlds, rather than really being on one and then really against the other. Which you know, it's really it's foolish because China is the largest trading partner of Australia. You know, its livelihood of Australia depends on China also. So, so I think now they are, they have finally realized that and are doing the right thing. And uh, so, be pleased to see that to to happen. I think you know, mm-hmm. I would you know like to see Australia have a more strategic independence and then maybe uh, you know have a better relation with both U.S. and China, well, not uh, just is... one and, and against the other. Clearly, this is all very, very much part of a process, but I'm afraid we'll have to leave our discussion there for now. Thank you to all of our guests, Tess Newton-Kane, Henry Huyu Wang, and Alicia Garcia-Herrero. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Nihad Alabedi, Fungi Nguyen, and Gemma Harries. Studio sound by Deepak Pushkaran. This program was edited by Anya Bansaka, Lin Nguyen, and Joe DeFries. Do be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every one of our episodes. Thanks for listening and tune in again on Thursday for our next one.